Good morning, Journey Church. Would you guys stand with us? We're going to go ahead and sing a few songs to our God. Could you guys clap with us?
Good morning, church. Thank you guys for spending your Sunday morning here with us. We're so glad to have you guys. We like to take this time in our service just to, uh, just to pray a little bit about the needs in our church, uh, about the needs in this valley, and uh, very importantly, especially right now, the needs of this country. Um, we believe in a God that is powerful. Uh, we believe in a God that moves when we pray to him. We believe a God that, in a God that hears us. So uh, this morning, we're going to go ahead and pray. We're going to pray for this country because I think we all know we need it. This country needs it. We're going to pray for this valley, and then we're going to pray for the, the needs in your life. Uh, so if you would bow your heads. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you do for us, God. God, we come to you asking, God, that you would give the leaders of this country wisdom. God, that your hand uh, would be among, um, God, all the decision-making and all of the things happening in this country, Father God. We believe, Lord Jesus, that, uh, God, that you come to bring us freedom and fulfillment. Lord Jesus, may we show, uh, God, this world who you are. God, we pray for this valley, Lord Jesus, this uh, broken and hurting valley, God, where sometimes it feels a little hopeless, like uh, Satan and it is running rampant. Uh, God, we just pray uh, your name over circumstances, Father God. We pray that you would move in relationships, Lord Jesus. God, we pray for your healing hand. Um, God, we just, we thank you in advance knowing that you are moving in our lives. God, we pray that you would be with us. God, we thank you for all you do for us. May you continue to provide and lead us, God. Give us wisdom. And all of our people said, amen, amen.
this morning on giving. Um, so this last couple of weeks we've been having our fast and one of the things that I felt like God told me on top of my food was to give him a little extra time in my day um, and not watch TV and watch movies, which seems like not that big of a deal until you actually don't do it and then you recognize how much time is like, it's just background noise. Um, and so I actually took this last couple weeks, I've listened to a lot of messages and from different pastors. And so why reinvent the wheel? I'm just going to share kind of something that they shared and it was great. So um, there's a story in Matthew 13 of Jesus and he has this multitude, this crowd that's around him. And it's so crazy hectic with so many people that he actually can't even stand to, to share the message with them. So he actually gets on a boat and he goes out into the water and he's brilliant because he's God. And he um, uses the acoustics of the water to kind of project his voice so everybody could hear him. And he begins to tell this really famous, they call it a parable, but it's basically a story because Jesus was a storyteller. We're kindred spirits. I love telling stories. I don't always tell him that great. So he's there and he starts telling this really famous story about the sower and the seed. And it's about this farmer that's like throwing out seeds to different parts of the ground. Some of the ground's really good soil. Some of it's rocky. Some's got thorns. Some has um, weeds. And he begins to say like what's happening to the seed as he throws out the seed in these different areas. So then at the very end of his story, like the climax of the story, he ends it with, and he who has an ear, let him hear. And then, boom, sermon done. And everybody that's there, the multitude, the, the, the crowd, massive crowds, like, awesome. We saw Jesus. We've been wanting to see him. Great, great message. They left. And the 12 disciples, Jesus' closest, come to him afterwards. And they're just like, hey, um, hey, teacher. So great story. We're fishermen. Doesn't really make, you know, it's not really a huge connection for us, but I'm sure there were a lot of farmers in there. And also, what the heck did it mean? Like, you just told a story about seeds. What does that have to do with us and our lives? And this preacher that I was listening to said that this is actually, unfortunately, this is like the church. That there's so many of us that just come on Sunday to listen to a nice message. We come, we have our seat, we take our seat, we check it off our list that we came on Sunday, and we leave 
not wanting to dig a little deeper and figure out what the heck did that mean and how can I apply it to my life. And God is calling us to be like the 12 disciples because he says in Matthew 13, um, he said, but blessed are your eyes. He's speaking to the disciples. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And I really do feel like this whole last couple of weeks as we've been going through this series of first, it's all been about putting Jesus first and really seeking after him. You know, there's that verse that says, seek first the kingdom of God. And that is what we as a church have been wanting to promote in every aspect, that we want to be a church that seeks after him first. Doesn't just get satisfied with showing up on a Sunday, but wants to dig a little deeper. And church, I've actually had the honor and privilege of being able to do our social media this last couple weeks and the devotionals that we've been putting up. Um, and honestly, it has been so beautiful. Like, the, the, the way that people have been responding and people sharing their stories and what God has been doing in their life and the things that they're praying for that they're asking God for in these last couple weeks, like, I've been moved to tears at times, like, seeing and hearing the things that are going on in your world, seeing the response to the devotional, seeing people actually reading them and going through them. And can I just say, like, I'm so proud to be a part of this house because we are filled with people who want more. It's not satisfying to just show up here on Sunday and sing a couple songs and awesome, hear Dave speak, and it's great. You want more, and you are seeking after God first. And can I just encourage you, as this new year, like, the 21 days is done, you did it, it's great. But can I encourage you, let's not stop at 21 days. Like, let's pursue this throughout all of 2019. I'm believing that this is going to be a great year for each and every one of us. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect and no problems, but I really do believe that we started off our year great, putting God first, seeking him first. So this year, I really want to encourage you, like, ask God, what is it this, like, this month, this year, this day, what do I need to put more of you first in, God? Is it my finances? Do I need to trust you a little bit more in my finances? Is it my relationships? Do I need to trust you a little bit more in my relationships? Is it my time? These little areas of our life that we like to grab control of, God desires to be put first in those places. And can I just tell you, I'm so encouraged and so pumped because I believe with all of my heart that Journey Church is a church that's not just going to settle for putting God second or third or last, but we're, we're not satisfied until he's first in every area of our life. So as the ushers come forward, if this is your first time here at Journey, thank you for coming. We're so excited that you're here. Um, and if this is home, there's a couple of ways that we can, you can give. There's um, online, you can go to AV Journey, you can give it in person as the buckets are passed. And there's also a mobile text, give to that number, and it'll actually be able to take it out as frequently as you want. Thank you for partnering with us in these last 21 days. Thank you for putting God first. And let's just keep on doing it. 2019 is going to be our greatest year yet. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for everything that you are. We thank you that you, you desire to be with us first, God, that you, you love us so much. God, I pray that as our days go on, we continue to put you first in our time. We continue to put you first in our day. Um, Jesus, I pray that you would do what you do and you would take what we have and multiply it and make it what is needed, God. We love you so much. We give you everything that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, I've got a couple of announcements to give as well. I'm not sure if they have my slides this time around. That was my fault. First announcement, marriage retreat, March 22nd through the 24th. If you have any questions, head on over to the hotspot. They will be able to answer what they can, those questions. Um, next, we actually have a women's retreat that's coming up. It's coming up very soon, yeah, ladies. It is next weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And if you were super bummed that it was totally full, guess what? One spot popped open. So it might be your spot. Head on over to the hot spot today. If you are interested in taking that spot, we'd love to have you. Um, we also have on, I don't know if you guys have been coming the last couple Tuesdays, we've been doing like a worship night at the church and it's been awesome. We've been able to kind of just, you know, be able to worship and just be here together going through this fast. Well, we want to continue it. We want to do a celebration night. So February 5th, which is in two Tuesdays, so not next, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, um, we are going to do a worship connect night. That's what we're calling it. So we're going to have a time to, we're going to have live worship. We're going to be able to do some worship time. We're going to have the taco trucks or we're going to have different food trucks that are going to come out. I'm not sure if it's taco, but there's going to be food here. So 6.30 to 8 on February 5th. And starting February 3rd, which is next Sunday, um, if you have any 5th and 6th graders that usually go to the J-Kids, we're actually opening up worship time for them here. We want them to kind of connect with us as they grow into their age group of 5th um, and 6th. So have them come here for worship, and then they will be excused to be able to go over to the J-Kids building with their leaders um, at the end of worship. So... Next is our favorite time of the day. It's our time to greet each other. So if you could just stand up, give a little howdy to somebody next to you, maybe shake their hand, give them a hug. Good morning. There it is. We got it. We got it. How are we doing this morning? You should be good because it's the end of 21 days and it's exciting to be alive to eat meat and also bread. <laughs> Am I right? If you haven't been around, you have zero clue what I'm talking about and that's okay too. But I finished my fast last night and I I decided to close it out with a ginormous steak and potato meal, and um, that was glorious, and praise the Lord for dead cows. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. Animal lovers, I know. I know. I know. My family's all vegan. They haven't converted me yet, but they might be on their way soon, but not for animals because I don't care. That's terrible. Today's just a day for celebration. Um, 
I joke, but I, I, I'm just excited because not so much that the fast is over, but that we've had an opportunity to just connect together. And I really feel like God has done some cool stuff. We've been in this series called First, and my dad has done a phenomenal job. He's such a good communicator. He's done a phenomenal job over the last couple weeks of talking through how to make God first in different areas of our lives. Um, I'm not always the most practical when it comes to the hows, but it's because I grew up a really rebellious uh, pastor's kid, and so I like to talk more on the question of why, why it matters. And so as we close out this week, I want to talk about the why. I want to go back and take a look at why we kind of do what we do and why it's important, um, because the how is big, but the how is mostly, for most of us, it's over now. And so just bringing us back to the why, because I think we can take the why with, with us through the rest of this year. As Bianca was talking about, making God first is not just meant to be for the fast, it's meant to be for life, for the year. Um, that is the practice that we're growing with. And so I want to talk about the fast itself. I wanna, I'll talk to you guys a bit about mine. Um, but I just want to share with you guys a bit about what this fast is all about. I have a love-hate relationship with fasting. We've been doing it as a church for a number of years. And um, how many of you have ever, I won't even ask you, see, this is a strategic question, because I'm not asking how many of you participated in this fast, but how many of you have fasted at any point in your life? Okay, so most of you. Some of you, maybe it was a cleanse, maybe it was um, like a detox, um, whatever it is, awesome. Um, but as we fast, you start to recognize some things about yourself and learn some things really quickly. Early on, for me, my fast was not really about spiritual things. I'm just going to be really candid with you all today because I can't over-spiritualize uh, things when just sometimes they're just so normal. As I've walked through my fast, just going to bring some reality and some humanity to this, like, this conversation today because early on in our fasts, I found for me... It really had zero to do with connecting with God. I'm really honest. Um, it really had everything to do with competing to see how long you can hold out compared to the next person. <laughs> Am I right? Like, the conversation never centered around, so what have you been getting out of your fast? It was like, how long have you done water? <laughs> and then we feel guilty or better than that person depending on their answer. And we may lie about it too. You may be like, oh, well, they're like, I did, you know, three full days because Pastor Dave told us to, and I just, I'm always listening to our pastor and obeying what he says. <laughs> so then I have to take it up and be like, oh, yeah, well, I did four, and because I'm a better Christian than you are. And we don't say that, but in our hearts, there is a lot of this competition in the sense of like, depending on how much you did, and especially if you did water, you're like a super safe Christian. You're so spiritual, you are better than everybody else. And if you didn't, shame on you. You suck at life, and God is barely listening to your prayers, you know, if you're lucky. And that's what it feels like. That's what, it, like, when you have conversations with people, it becomes this competition. And so my family, early on, we agreed because my dad uh, loves pain. I'm convinced, at least. He would maybe deny it, but I'm convinced he loves pain. So he set up for our family to do seven days of water all by ourselves. I'm like, what? What is wrong with you? So years ago, we started doing the first seven days as a family, water only by ourselves. But the truth was, it had nothing to do with spending time with God. It was, my time was filled entirely and completely with fantasizing about the food that I was craving 
through the fast. I was not worshiping God. I was worshiping my next meal. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you have fasted water for any period of time, you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, cravings you didn't even know existed start coming up inside of you, and you are ready to eat something besides spiritual bread. Am I right? This is a real place. So one year, Chase and I, my brother, the spiritual giants that we are, we made a plan that at the end of our seven days, we weren't going to like break our fast by going into the Daniel portion. We were going to break our fast by eating everything that we ever wanted and craved. So this is how it looked. It was a Saturday night. We ended our fast. And the first place that we went, because I was craving something particular, I wanted a Western bacon cheeseburger from Carl's Jr., an extra large fry, and a Coke. I don't ever have those, but for whatever reason, I was having like weird pregnancy cravings, and I was desperately in need of some barbecue sauce on a Western bacon cheeseburger. So we went there first, and I got a large meal. We ate. I was, it was pure ecstasy. It was the best moment of my life and the best moment of my fast. I'll kid you not. We then decided because Chase had some needs that he needed to fulfill while we were on this fast as well, because you know how spiritual we are. So then we went to 50th and went to a little Mexican restaurant called Don Juan's, Madrano's maybe. And they had the best chicken enchilada or chicken tortilla soup I'd ever had. Chase wanted that, so we went there and we both consumed an entire bowl of chicken tortilla soup. We then headed home to have pasta because who doesn't need pasta in their lives? Are you kidding me? Get me the carbs. That's all I want. Like, give me, give me the pasta. But on our way home, we stopped at Albertsons because you can't finish your fast and you can't finish a meal without dessert. So we picked up Ben and Jerry's and to complete. And I went home, we ate the pasta, and I killed an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's. And then I swear on my life, I felt food sticking out of my throat right here. I was so full that I sat in a chair and I looked at Chase and I said, promise me we'll never do this again. As I, as I fought not to puke everything up that I had just consumed, because I was terrified. After you throw something up, it never tastes the same again. So I'm like, please God, these are the best items I've ever eaten. Don't make me throw up right now. This is me hanging onto my chair if you don't know what my hands are doing. It's hanging onto my chair and just like gripping on for dear life. And this is the reality. This is what fasting for me looks like. This was my experience. It was not a spiritual event. It was about prolonging, sacrificing, and just holding out. It was a willpower issue. It was a thing of how spiritual am I compared to other people, and we just got to look the part. So some interesting things come up when I do that, because if you open your Bibles, Jesus has some really interesting things to say about fasting. My dad is focused a lot on Matthew 6, so I'm going to continue that. And I want to take a look at Matthew 6, starting in uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 16. And this is what Jesus has to say about fasting. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire. Like you have, I mean, just real quick, like you have to, like, make yourself look miserable, you're miserable. Like, I don't care how spiritual you are, if you're not eating food, you're a miserable human being. Unless you hate food. So people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is, is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, 
and wash your face. In first service, I added in brush your teeth. Please, for the love of God, brush your teeth. It helps everybody out. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you, are doing, what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. This is challenging. The one thing I love about Jesus, first and foremost, is we paint him and media and especially like movies and TV love to paint him as this really like weak, soft, flowing blonde headed man with a perfectly shaved beard, like trimmed to the max, well waxed eyebrows and a blue sash like Miss Universe. Which, I, where did that come from? <laughs> anyway. And he comes in and he just says really sweet things to people. But I love that when it came to fasting, Jesus, like pastors, a lot of times we approach things because, you know, we live in a PC world, so you don't want to offend anybody, so you're conscious about everything that you say, and we don't want to hurt people's feelings. So we approach things like, you know, if you ever want to fast because you, if you ever feel like you get a feeling to like want to love Jesus a little bit, you could try this if you want, but don't feel obligated because we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable ever in your life. We want everybody to feel as comfortable as you, like as humanly possible. And Jesus is like, he didn't even say if you fast, he just straight said, when you fast. I'm assuming you're going to fast because this is what you want. If you're a Christ follower, you want to connect with God. Am I right? So when you fast... And he goes on to say, don't be a hypocrite. Don't do it like the hypocrites. And for me, I look at this, and I think this is so interesting because fasting for me draws out some really interesting things. I've learned a lot through my fast because if I'm really real with you this week, um, checking out my fast and praying through it as I, I brought it to a close last night and I was journaling and kind of thinking through what I was going to share this morning, the truth is my fast was beautifully average, completely not dramatic. Like, I did it, but there was no heaven-touching earth, divine revelation, Jesus speaking to me from a bush or the wind or the clouds or even a still small whisper. Jesus wasn't saying a whole lot at all. I, I would worship and there was no like profound sense of me walking into the throne room of heaven and seeing the golden gates and the beauty of the Lord shined upon me and I heard the angels singing. There was nothing like that. I just did every day as it came. And this is the reality. I think sometimes for some of you, maybe you had an incredible encounter with God, and that's great. Power to you. I'm a little jealous, but it's okay. I don't hate you. Not publicly. But privately, I'm dealing with like, okay, God, am I doing something wrong? Am I missing something? This fast isn't quite working the way I feel like it's supposed to. And you bring the humanity into it, and I feel like God's like, just share the truth. I'm like, but then people can judge me, God. That's stupid. Who wants to do that? Who puts yourself in that position? But this is the interesting thing about what God was showing me, and I felt like what he was putting on my heart, and what he kind of weaved, wove through my fast throughout the entirety of the three weeks and the 21 days that was going on. And one major theme kind of stuck out to me while I was fasting, and it's this word that is a curse word for all of us. It's the, it's the word humility. Fasting is deeply humbling, deeply humbling. I don't care how strong you are. You don't eat for three days, you got nothing to give. 
You see grown men throwing tantrums because they are hangry as all get up. I don't care how mature you are three days in, you're not doing anything crazy. You're trying your best to just survive and not, you know, die. And we just pray that God is pleased with it. You know, like, God, just please do something. I don't even care anymore. I'm too tired to pray. I can't think clearly, and I'm just over it. So just whatever it is, do something. And then we don't see anything, so then we quit. It's easy to quit. We, want, we start to question, should I quit? Should it be over now? I don't feel like this is working. Is this on? You know, it's broken. I don't think I'm hearing from God. He's not, he's not speaking. But fasting is deeply humbling. We live in a culture that tells us to be self-sufficient. That it, it prides like itself for, for its independence from anybody else, for our strength, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, whether you are just like an intellectual giant. The fast instantly strips us of all of that. And suddenly, you become very aware of your limitations. We become very aware of our lack, of very aware of what we don't have. And what I think is so interesting about fasting and one of the central reasons why God has us do it is most times in life, especially in modern culture, we get so comfortable and we really truly do believe that we don't need God until a tragedy comes. You get a diagnosis that is scary. Your kid, something happens with your kid. Something falls apart. Your marriage starts to crumble. You get bad news. And suddenly, it's like, God, I'm praying to you. Where are you? And he's like, I've been here all along. Where the heck have you been? You know? I don't know. He just talks to me like that, though. It's fine. Do we not come to the table like, are you listening? And God's just like, seriously? You haven't been interested in me for how long? Like, when was the last time... You just felt this hunger, this desire, this need for God above everything else that's going on in life. I think few of us do. And I think God allows pain and tragedy and things to reorient us, to wake us up, to shift our perspective, to force us to become aware of our lack, our need, our limitations. And it's humbling. It is deeply humbling. And humility is tough. Because pride is something we don't see in ourselves. It's, the most, it's like the most blinding thing that takes place in our lives. You can't see it in yourself, so therefore somebody calls it out on you, in you, and you just turn around and call it right back in them, which validates the fact that you're prideful, but then also you just start pointing the fingers back outward because you can't see it already, so then when somebody calls it out, you just do the prideful thing, which is point it to them, and then we're in this whole mix of like, I'm not prideful, you're prideful, and you're ugly, you know, like, and we... <laughs> We take it up a notch, and, and it's like, while we're, and that's just while we're fasting, you know, like, <laughs> praise God for that. The thing about fasting is it brings up all the ugly. This is the thing. You may think that it just makes you ugly. Guys, can I just, can we just be real and inform you? That was already there. All that that was inside of you, it just brought it to the surface because you're, you have no energy to mask it, to fake it, to front it. So the real comes out and what we really think and what we really feel becomes reality. It comes forefront. It becomes the central. And it's most of the time for most of us, if we're really honest, it's not very pretty. Fasting does that every time. 
And I'm not thinking that God is just doing it to make us feel terrible about ourselves, but I think that the very nature of what we're doing here as a church, why we sit in these seats, the, why, the reason why the Bible says that this is either like the greatest news you've ever heard or it's going to be the most offensive thing you've ever heard is because you have to admit, and what you're being told is, you are broken, you are sinful, you are doing the wrong thing in putting yourself in the driver's seat and in trying to run your own life. And God has provided a solution in his son, and we have to accept that we are broken and not a single one of us like being told what we do wrong. And the very essence of being a Christ follower is like an AA meeting. I've said this before, but you have to stand up. And we have to hold our hands up and say, hi, my name is Tyler Elmore, and I'm a sinner. Like they would at an AA meeting where they say, and I'm an alcoholic. I, we're sinaholics, and every single one of us. And I almost feel like we have to admit that before we can even sit down because otherwise other things start to come up. Like can you be less or more of an alcoholic than the person sitting next to you? Do you need less or more help than the person sitting next to you? And yet we, we approach humility, the, the thing it's meant to attack the most, one, is that we need a savior. But two, it helps us to look at, because I don't know about you, but for me through this fast, it makes me aware of how judgy we are. Maybe you're not judgy. Church people are not judgy. <laughs> right? We are not judgy. We are judgy. Let's own it. Let's just embrace it. We're judgy. We judge people without even thinking twice about it. You judge people based on what they look like. You, we judge people based on something that they say or don't say. We judge everything. We judge Christians. We judge non-Christians. We judge. And I think a part of this is because there's two ugly brothers, these ogre-looking brothers that come hand in hand, and where one is, the other one is close behind, and it's the brothers of pride and the brother of insecurity. And where one is, the other one follows close behind. Why? Because in our own worlds, we recognize subconsciously even that we are desperately broken. So we have to minimize our own stuff in order to not fall apart and to feel terrible about ourselves. And then we point the finger outwards to appease the critic inside of us that's telling us we're horrible humans and that we're, we're shameful and that we're wrong and all of these things. So we point the finger outwards. It appeases that inner person and we maximize their stuff. And it is this relationship with our insecurities, not wanting to show those and not wanting for those to be revealed and our pride kicking in to overcompensate for our insecurities and pointing the finger outward. And then we all do this to each other all the time. Isn't that great news? <laughs> Healthy. But we do it. I do it. I'm telling you this because I discovered this like extremely during my fast. This is a reality. I think the fast not only reveals our weakness, but it reveals our ugly. It reveals the true nature of what's going on in our hearts. We judge. We are judgy people. I think the, the biggest, one of the, some of the biggest things that I see um, that I felt like God really showed me through this fast was because it wasn't dramatic and glorious and glamorous and big and I couldn't tell everybody every amazing, beautiful thing that God has ever done in my life every second of the day. Like three days in, I was ready. Uh, this is terrible and so dramatic, but so true. Day three, I was like ready like Job to just die. Day three, I had the first migraine I've ever had in my life. Uh, and 
I don't know if you've ever had one, but it feels like someone is cracking your head open. And I was ready to quit all of life. I, didn't, I literally was like, I went to work and I had meetings and I just remember sitting there going, I don't know what you're saying, but God, please help them with whatever it is and take me home. Just take me home. I don't even care anymore. I went home early to take a nap, you know, because naps are the most spiritual thing of, of my life. I, sh- I kid you not, this will, like, going home and taking a nap will be the most spiritual thing I do today. I love it. Um, but I went home to take a nap, woke up a couple hours later, and it was worse. And not only that, then I felt nauseous, like I could smell somebody making food, which was rude in the first place, but two... <laughs> It was, a, it was a friend from far away, so it's fair. Uh, but two, I became, like, I turned on the lights and, like, felt like it was, the lights were drilling into my skull. And so I got up and finally, you know, because as men, part of the whole willpower thing is like, I don't need anything. I will will this to submit to me. This headache will not beat me. Until it did. And I was like, give me anything you have. I don't even care. Give me an IV. You know, I'll take whatever you've got. So I took Advil, and it didn't touch it. And that's like when the panic really set in. That's when I was like, this has got to be worse than anything ever. Worse than childbirth, a severed limb. I don't even know what it's worse than, but it's the worst thing. (laughs) I know. I know. I told you. Dramatic, I know. But... But my mom finally, she, she has chronic migraines, so I feel for you. I have instant empathy for anybody who has and suffers from migraines. Um, I think they are the, a work of the enemy, and I hate them. Um, she has them chronically, and so she gave me one of her prescription medication or her pills, and I took that and went to bed, and finally, like, that was it. And I remember waking up the next day and was like, God, what the heck was that? <laughs> Right? Like, if I'm going to do what you want me to, then it should be good. I should be experiencing the floodgates of heaven pouring out on me. What happened to this good gifts from a good father thing that you talk about all the time? Where the heck did that come from? And if this is the real hum, like human thinking, I think. I think so much of the time, and maybe I'm alone, but it just reveals our expectations and our things, our nature towards God, our relationship towards God that we are deeply uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. We white-knuckle life. We want things to just work out. I think another thing that, that fasting reveals is our limitations. You have to rest when you're fasting, whether you like it or not. You don't get to go out on top of your you know, 70, 80-hour work week and then do some yard work because you, seriously, all you can do is maybe crawl out of bed and then like lay on the floor and, and pray a little bit you know, or whatever, or just really feel sorry for yourself. That's what I did. But I think it makes us aware of our limitations. We have to rest. We are a workaholic nation, and we, we are actually encourage it. It's the only commandment that we not only break regularly, but we also pride ourselves on it because busy is synonymous like with important. And so we become really important by being more busy, and we got so many, I've got so many things going on, I haven't had a Sabbath in months. And it's like you're saying, I have slept with so many people, because that's the one that comes shortly thereafter, that one in the lineup of commandments. I covet everything. 
You know, you know what I mean? Like, we do that. But it's the only one that we do that with. I have so many idols in my closet. They're gold. Do you have any? You know what I mean? Like, we don't do that. But we do when it comes to being busy. And I say that, I know, like, it's ridiculous. But fasting reveals to us, you have to take a break. You have to. You have to rest. You have to be. You have to sit and let God do what you can't do because you don't have the energy to do it. And I think that's deeply humbling. Deeply humbling. I started this fast doing the seven days because I felt like that's what God had put on my heart. And then I realized shortly thereafter, God never put it on my heart. And I felt very quickly like God was like, I didn't say that. You did that because everybody else, like, because that's what you always do. And your family's doing it. And so you think that that's what I wanted you to do. He didn't say all this, but I just kind of had this feeling like, I don't need to be fasting seven days of water, but I'm doing it anyways. And I felt like it came from pride. It became a thing of like, well, I said it. And so now I got to do it. And God was like, okay, well, then punish yourself all you want. But just so you know, when you start feeling sorry for yourself, I didn't ask that of you. And so I switched to Daniel fast. And it was so humbling to be able to, to have to look and be like, I just felt God kept saying through this fast particularly, just take it a day at a time. One day at a time. You see, I think most of our lives, there are moments where it is glamorous and it is beautiful. And God shows up in profound like irrefutably miraculous ways. But I think there's other times and the vast majority of times where it, it, is, it is so painfully average. It is so not dramatic. It is so not a loud voice from God. It's just kind of taking a step at a time. And Paul talks a lot about it in his letters to the churches about running his race, but we try to run it like it's a sprint and it's this long distance run that we've got to pace ourselves on and we don't pace well. We don't pace well. The fast has taught me to be present. Did you ever notice that the fast, like when you fast, it's the longest month of your entire life? It'll be Christmas tomorrow, now that the fast is over. I'm gonna have summer for two minutes and then it's Christmas and we're doing it all over again. I kid you not. You're gonna blink your eyes and you're gonna wake up and you're gonna be like, oh crap, I should go buy some Christmas presents right now. Because it's, it's around the corner. And, and it's true, but during the fast, every moment feels like it's an eternity. Yes. And it's, you're painfully aware of everything. And I think part of the humbling nature of it is having to be present, recognizing the good things for what they are. How often do we stop, slow down, and watch the sunset as we're coasting down the freeway to get to our next destination? When's the last time you stopped and closed your eyes and let the sun just beat on your face? When was the last time we listened, we stopped, and recognized the birds chirping and thanked a God that as you slept, he controlled everything on your behalf. You got the day off. Isn't that crazy? The moon didn't crash into the earth when you went to sleep. You see, our, part of our limitations is, I think half of us, I think most of us, maybe all of us, really most of the time feel like we're white knuckling life. And I picture it like this wakeboard boat that we used to ride on when we were growing up. We would go wakeboarding and there never failed. There'd be somebody who was learning how to wakeboard and they would come up and then they would slam down and then they would just hold on. And they're just like, they're just gripping. And you hear my dad going, let go. 
Some of you need to hear, let go. You're not gonna get up from, you're not gonna get up from that position. Can we be real? If you're being dragged behind the boat, some of us feel like we're so far behind, we're just trying to catch up, and you're just like holding on. And God was like, you realize this would be so much easier if you just let go. We could stop, pick you back up, and we could do this all over. Like, we can do it like the way it's supposed to be done on your feet. Y'all, let's stop. Let us stop. We don't have to white-knuckle life to get through it. The beauty of not being in control in a world that we fight for control. We fight to be in control of our relationships. We fight to be in control of our finances. We fight to be in control of our kids. We fight to be in control of our futures. We fight to be in control of our past. We fight to be in control of our images. We fight to be in control of what people think about us all the time. We like control. Fasting puts us in a position where you recognize how little control we have. Three days of no food, boom. I can't do anything on my own hardly. I'm army crawling through life. I love the way that the scriptures say it. James 4, 14 through 16. That's beautiful. It says it like this. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Another, another version says your life is a vapor, and it's done. That is a humbling thought. We all want to leave a legacy. We want our lives to count. We want our names to mean something. We want to know that we left a mark. Most of us do. If nothing else, through your kids, you want like, to leave the world a better place. We want to do something that matters, and yet most of the time, it feels like we're just trying to get through it. Proverbs 27.2 says it this way. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. I love how just straightforward it is. Do you ever find yourself needing to validate yourself so you talk yourself up a little bit? Do you ever find yourself? I found myself during the fast, once again, doing that. And I walked to my, I like left, and I just was like, that is so stupid. I hate me. <laughs> Why do I do that? Why did I feel the need to say that, to like bring? But it's because of the brothers, pride and insecurity. They were hanging out with me, and I hate them but they're really, we're really good friends. <laughs> Romans 12, three. I, don't have, I gave them the wrong verse for this one, but I'll just read it to you. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. That judgy thing, recognize we are the ultimate to step in through these doors is to recognize each one of us are unworthy. There is not a thing you could do to make it better. You can't wipe all that's on you off of you because it's like oil. If you've ever gone to the beach and like come out of the water and you have like the oil all over the bottom of your feet, that is really hard to take off unless you have coconut oil. And Jesus is like the coconut oil of our sin. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is the reality. You, we can't do it. We can't fix it. We need a Jesus. Do you need a Jesus? Because I do. This fast has revealed nothing amazing and profound. I didn't write any scripture. I didn't like, you know, sing a new song or do anything glorious. 
But I was able to just recognize that I took one step every day a little bit closer. See, I felt like God showed me and really put on my heart Part of this fast for me, the moment I, stepped, I started going back onto Daniel, I felt God encouraged me to kind of get back into the gym. But my normal response is to go all out. I'm never eating fat things ever again. You know what I mean? Like, because like, this is the difference. Like, you see this balance, this need for grace and truth. John, in chapter 1, talks about how Jesus is the fulfillment of grace and truth. For us, most of us, the best thing we can do is kind of like try to balance a little bit of both. But one of you, you, most of us, we either lie on one side mostly or the others, the other side. And for the truth, people, you're like the person in the gym who obsesses over every calorie. You are aware of every moment that needs to be spent in the gym. You cannot enjoy your vacations because you can't have the piece of cake or pie with the rest of the family because you are afraid that it will show up on your tummy. And there, like, and so every moment is a stressful like, moment of needing to just perfect it. My body's not quite there yet. And you end up being a slave to this constant, incessant drive that you never reach. And it's so self-defeating. I think for Christians, and even during this fast, that's a huge part of how we approach things. If we can't measure up, then we just feel, especially if you're on the truth side, then it's just this difficult balance. On the other side, the grace side, when it comes to working out, if you are all grace, then you gain in weight. Because you're telling yourself, it's okay if I have this pint of ice cream, and it's okay if I don't go to the gym this week. God will still love me. I'm like, yeah, you're dang right. But you know what's not going to happen? You are not going to get where you want to be. Those genes are not going to help. And that's the grace side. We have to have both. We have to have both. And I felt like God was kind of just put on my heart. We've got to approach our spiritual walk the same way. A lot of times it's not glamorous. It's not this big, crazy event. It's not this extreme thing. A lot of times it's just taking a step each day and just allowing God to be present with you in these moments and recognizing that he values you right where you are. Y'all, this is the beauty of this. God already knew our limitations before we did, and he is not put off by them like we are. God has far more grace and far more understanding for us than we ever could. And this fast was not about proving your spirituality. It was about connecting with the creator God who is desperately longing for connection and intimacy with you. That he has purpose and meaning for your life. That he wants to do something profound and he's the only one who can offer it. Because in the midst of the chaos and in the midst of the loss and in the midst of the pain and the crazy, we can do things to grow closer to our God without having to have tragedy happen all around us. We get to choose to walk in step with our maker. And in so doing, our lives begin to change a little more each day. Someone shared, I'm going to get ready to close, but somebody shared at our prayer, our last prayer night, if you missed out on those, you missed out, just plain and simple. But the last one, uh, one of our guys talked, and he was sharing about how God was teaching him some things, and I loved what he said. He just said, plain and simple, God's teaching me this, and I'm still failing a lot at it, but I'm learning that each day I succeed a little bit more than I fail. Is that not a beautiful picture of our walks with God? We're, we're struggling. And God can work through the struggle. The fast is not about shaming those of you who did not fast. It's not about making us feel terrible about what we're not doing right. It's about taking the first step. Maybe for some of you, it's just a matter of getting your first like, prayer 
lined up where you just start praying maybe at least once to three times a day. Did you know that many, they say that for many monks and like people who are just on this pursuit of God alone, they do this thing where they have these set hour prayers and they do like six to seven hours, um, or I mean, sorry, six to seven times a day where they pray. And I think the crazy thing is when we fast, we're, we're encouraging everybody Pray in the morning where you would normally eat breakfast. Pray in the afternoon where you normally eat lunch. Pray in the evening where you normally eat dinner. But what if we just set an alarm and at some point, even if you just got two minutes while you're driving, you turn off the music, you stop the chaos, and you just thank God for something. You talk to God. You bring him into your frustrations of that day. You let him know what you're feeling, and you just, be, you just end up being really honest. Most of you females are really good at this. The first thing you do when you get in your car is call somebody. I mean, I'm not saying who because that's, you know, not exactly legal, but, but you like to talk while you're driving. It's a thing. Talk to Jesus, okay? We'll leave it at that. Philippians says it this way, and then we're going to close. I'm so, I'm, we're done. We're wrapping up. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says it this way. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Folks, this is the thing. The, the scriptures point time and time again to become the best we can possibly be we have to humble ourselves the most and more than anybody else. To be the greatest in the kingdom is to become the least of these. The beauty is this whole relationship starts with humility. One, you can't have a relationship with God and still be prideful at the same time, or at least hold on to your pride. I mean, we're prideful all the time, but hopefully we're taking steps. Maybe your first step is just asking God, where am I not humble? Where is there pride in me? Be careful what you ask for, though. He'll show you. We're going to close. But y'all, this, this is the beauty of this. This is not about making you feel bad about your fast, whether you fasted, whether you've never fasted, about your relationship with God. The beauty of it is this. There is a God who is in love with you. There is a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life that you have yet to explore. When we say that we have a God in reach that is good, that is love, that is peace, that is joy. The whole point of a fast or spiritually addressing our cravings, did you realize that half the time that you're craving something physically, it may actually be a spiritual craving that you're not recognizing is there, and so you find a physical appetite to meet that thing that actually was spiritual all along? I wonder if half of our addictions aren't spiritual cravings turned physical. But the beauty is that wherever we're at on this step, it's one step at a time. Maybe it's taking a, like a walk before you even jog. Maybe you stopped running a long time ago and God is just saying, okay, then stop. Let's get you settled. We're gonna start the boat back up so you're not white knuckling life because it is for freedom that Jesus came to set you free. Not to make you feel worse, but to free you from the things that have made you feel ill-equipped inadequate that he takes care of it all you are his 
and he has something in store for you. Let us not become satisfied with the amount of Jesus that we have in our lives when we could have more. Who's satisfied with less joy? Who's satisfied with less love? Who's satisfied with less peace? None of you are going to raise your hands if you're honest. But we settle for less of God all the time. And he is the source of all of those things. Let's turn to him. Can we do that together? Can we make this year a year of seeking God and just taking it a step at a time? Whether it's glamorous or whether it's super average. Let's pray. God, I thank you that this is a day that you have made. We can rejoice and be glad in it. I thank you, Father, that you have created us to be an intimate, connected relationship with you, that you recognize our humanity, that you see our hurts. God, I pray that there would be deep humility inside of us, that we would recognize our fragile egos, that when we see um, and start to find ourselves wanting to step into being defensive and talking ourselves up and, and that pride starting to seep in and when we compare ourselves to the people around us and our, our job compared to their job and our, like, our approach to our spirituality compared to theirs and our closeness to you, God, I pray that we would just stop. I pray that we'd recognize these things for what they are. Your word says multiple times throughout all of scripture that you bless those who choose to humble ourselves. That when we humble ourselves, you will lift us up. So God, I pray that we would experience your lifting of our spirits, of our relationships, of our worlds this year as we each choose to become less so that you can become more. I pray that we would not find ourselves discouraged, God, but just overwhelmed by how good you are. Thank you that you sought us out. Thank you that you are, you are constantly craving relationship with us. I pray that you would grow that passion and that craving in every single person in this room, that we would meet you and that we would grow in relationship. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't you go and stand with us? We're going to close in a song of praise.